Lord, we just thank for this opportunity to come together and worship you in the word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at this psalm tonight and that you will be with us and with all that hear this message. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Psalm 125, verse 1. They that trust in the Lord shall be as the Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abides forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. The rod of the wicked shall not rest on, upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands and do iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that do good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. For as for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity, but peace shall be upon Israel. So here we have a fairly positive message from the writer of this psalm. Verse 1 says, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abides forever. And this is kind of an interesting thing. Those that place their confidence, their security, their, their lot with the Lord shall be like Mount Zion. And Mount Zion, we've talked about many times, is Jerusalem. A, a poetic word for, for Jerusalem. And it says, which cannot be removed, but which abides forever. And this is a prophetic statement because Jerusalem has had problems in, in times past where it has been no longer the capital and everything, but it will be the capital in the millennial kingdom and will be the capital in the new heaven and the new earth. So it will never be removed for, for the duration of this world and the next world that's recreated. Because the new heaven and new, new earth will have a Jerusalem that descends out of heaven. And it'll just be a small city, you know, 1,500 square miles, uh, miles on each side. <laughs> you know, uh, don't know what, but that, what distance that would cover the Middle East, probably all of it, because it covers the entire East Coast or West Coast of America. So it would just be a small, small city. <laughs> and, and it's uh, square at the base and goes up the same amount. And some people say it will be a a square, some people say it'll be a triangle, but it's 1,500 miles high as well as 1,500 miles wide and, and long. So it's a, just a small place. Yeah. Plenty of room for everybody who has ever come to know God. And people will go, well, how, how, how many people will that fit? A lot. <laughs> you know, a lot. <laughs> because you've got you know, 1,500 miles up. Definitely tells you the rules of the new heaven and new earth will be different. If we couldn't have a 1,500-mile building in our day and age, you would run out of atmosphere, and then some. 1,500 miles up is a big, big way. You know, I don't know for sure, but I think it's less than 25 or 30 miles. It's not that high up. Planes fly at 10,000 feet, which is less than two miles, and have to have oxygen in them to be able to fly that high. 1,500 miles, just a little bit longer than, and I never really thought about that. I'll have to look in to see how far the moon is from us in miles. So, but this is a small place, and it says that Jerusalem will last forever, and it will last forever. It's always existed in, in history because it's been controlled by different people throughout history, mostly the Israelites, but it's been controlled by various different groups. And it will be controlled by Jesus for the millennial kingdom and will be the new ruling place for the new heaven and new earth. 
And so this to say, you know, those that trust in the Lord are un unmovable. And this is something that we really want to consider. If our trust is in God the way it should be, we are unmovable because it's his strength. You know, we ourselves, we're not that, that strong, but our trust being in him will make us somebody that can't be moved. And this is something that's really fun when you're witnessing to people and being able to just share God and let God work through you and watch people not be able to answer the Spirit talking to them and seeing the Spirit put people in their place and, and making them challenged as long as we get out of the way. That's a lot of fun to witness to somebody when you're out of the way and the Holy Spirit is talking through you and just letting him speak. Verse 2 says, As the mountains are around about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. And this is the idea that Jerusalem is on a high mountain and is surrounded by mountains so that it is a very defensible city. It's hard. You can't get a whole army in there to, to attack it. And he's using this idea. Jerusalem is a well-protected city and God protects his people just as Jerusalem is protected. When David attacked Jerusalem to take it, he basically encouraged everybody with great promises of no taxes and, and being part of the royal family and all of that, you know, and really motivated the guys to liberate this city and make it his. And he's made it his city for his reign, and Solomon made it his city, and every, every king of Judah made it their, their capital city. And even when Israel came back to take over the land, they made Jerusalem their capital. Now, the world doesn't recognize it as the capital. It's the UN voted tomorrow. It's, but the world's not recognizing it as their capital, but Israel's always said it was their capital. And now we've got America saying that it's their capital. So it's, and it's a good thing because it is their capital. It's, it's not, it's not, ever been a question. God said it's theirs. It's theirs. It's, it's where he's put his seed. It's where he put his, put his stamp of approval on. And it's not a question of his being his, but Satan wants to, anything God desires, Satan wants to take. And so he's tried to put his stamp on Jerusalem through all the false religions. And so God says that his, he will circle his people. And you know, this should give us a lot of boldness when we're walking for God. God is our defender. He is our protector. No matter where we're at, he is surrounding us. And I love the story, I think it's Elisha, or it might be Elijah, who said, you know, God, show my servant that those that are with us are more than those that are against us. You know, he, his house is surrounded by a physical army, and around that army is the angels. You know, he wasn't afraid of anything. Why? He knew that God was his protection. And you know, probably between him and the army, there was a circle of angels so that nobody could get in. And this is the good news. Nothing can happen to us without God's permission for it to happen to us. And Job is that great example. Satan had to go to Job before God to be able to do anything to Job, period. Now, when God gave him permission, he went after Job with a vengeance. But remember, the first step was you can do everything but touch Job. So he took away all of his possessions, including all of his family. The second step, God said, okay, you can touch his health, but not his life. And he got sick and still didn't reject God. But 
he needed, Satan needed permission. And you know, that gives us so much strength that Satan needs permission to do anything. So when everything seems to be going wrong in our life, we go, okay, God, I'm not sure why you've given this permission, but you've given it, and we're going to let you work out. There are times when we do something wrong and we're going to get consequences. But even then, Satan is limited by what he can or can't do. Because you think about this, Satan hates humanity. If he could do what he wanted to do, everybody would be dead with him in hell. So even with the lost world, Satan has to have permission as far as he can take it. Now, he has a lot more latitude with non-Christians because they belong to his kingdom of this world. And so he gets a lot more latitude, but he still can't take their life. Because if he could, they'd be dead, never having an opportunity to hear the gospel. So God says, okay, you can do a lot to them, but you're not taking their life because I want them to have the opportunity to turn to me. And for us as Christians, yes, we can do things that cause trouble. I can, I can sin and there's going to be consequences. But God still is the one that says you can go this far. You can only go this far. You can't go beyond this distance. And yes, I can live a life that makes my life miserable and be under consequences for sin for a long time. And possibly if, I, if somebody is saved who continually sins, God could say, okay, we're just going to take you home because you're not living a, a godly life. Now, there are a lot of people who think they're, living, you know, think they're one of God's children that think they're going to go home, go home who aren't going home because they never knew God. Well, I'm afraid there's a lot of people that I know that are like that, you know, especially here in America. You ask so many people, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean to you? Well, I grew up in the church. I spent time in the church. I'm a generally good person. I was raised in a church. I went to church. I, I believe in God. You know, and as James told us, you believe, in, you believe in God, you do well. The demons believe in God. They're not going to heaven. You know, they believe, they know that he exists, but they have not put their trust in him as their savior. And this is where that difference comes in when we're talking to people. What do you mean you believe in God? And I've asked that question to a lot of people. What does it mean to believe in God to you? Because it's more than just saying, I believe that God exists. That's a no-brainer. There's nothing, there, everything about the, we, uh, the country and the world that we look around in tells us that God exists. The fact that human that life exists tells us there is a God, contrary to what the evolutionists want to try to tell because they make up their big fabricated story, but there's no way that evolution can be can be true, for multiple reasons. But you know you can't have life out of nothing. You can't have no, you can't have anything out of nothing. So there has to be a designer to give you what's going on. So there has to be a God. It doesn't necessarily prove our God, but it proves that there has to be a God. And then you look at the validity of all the different religions and know that our God is the only one that makes any sense. But, you know, so many times people forget that God is around us. It's been said over and over, the safest place to be is in the middle of God's will. And, you know, I've said it even further. I'm not going to die until God's ready for me to come home. Now, I could live a miserable life and be a physical wreck, without going home and without dying. There is that aspect. You know, if I, if I go out and I get drunk and I drive home and have a wreck and break my back and become a quadriplegic, you know, 
God wasn't ready for me to come home, but he's saying there's consequences for your actions. And there can be lots of consequences for our actions, and God limits the consequence. Now, does that mean God can't use us because of those consequences? Absolutely not. He can still use us. How many people have you met or known that have abused alcohol, have abused drugs, and they end up looking like they're ancient because they've destroyed their body? You know, you're how old? You know, I would have swore you were about 90, but you're only 40? <laughs> because of how bad they've abused their body, and God says, yes, there's consequences. There's always consequence for sin. Now, some of them are really serious consequences. Some of them aren't so con serious. Uh, and we need to keep this in mind that God has a protection around us over his child. He also has a protection around those that aren't his children because he's saying, I want to give them a chance to come to me. And otherwise, like I say, Satan, Satan's goal, if he could get away with it, would be to kill all of humanity and take them straight to hell with him. Because that would be his greatest hurt to God, would be to take all of humankind away so God has put a restriction on him. No, you can't kill these people. Now, he opens up for them to do a lot, lead them into sin, and have consequences for their sin. But, you know, in as, as Christians, there's consequence for sin, period. Always consequences. There's a price to pay for any sin. No matter how benign we think it is, there's a consequence for it. And God says, you're going, to get, you're going to reap what you sow. Which is why we need to be in him and, and so repentant and growing in him that when he speaks, we listen and we obey. And there's also consequences for doing righteous things, and God has consequences for that. You know, we don't usually think of them as consequences. We like to think of them about as reward, but technically there's still consequences. We do good, the, we get a good consequence. We do bad, we get a bad consequence. And... Yes, we can make our life miserable by, by doing wrong. But and we can also make things all much better also by doing the right things and watching God bless those right things. And then by the sovereignty of God, sometimes he allows us to not suffer the consequences that we could have suffered or not as bad as they should have been. Because he's connected several times. Yeah. And I have seen people who, when they finally repent and turn to God and change their life around, God heals a lot of the consequences that they were going through. I've seen people who got saved who all of a sudden there's full physical change comes over their body, not just a spiritual change, but they look younger and God strength, you know, straightens out some of their problems that they're having from their bad lifestyle. Not all of them and not all the time. But you know, it's an amazing thing when you see somebody get saved and it's like, you look 20 years younger. The weight of the world is taken off of them, and a lot of the consequences of what they've been doing comes off of them. And sometimes God will even heal things that shouldn't be healed. I've, I know people who've had emphysema who, who come to God and quit smoking, and God heals them of their emphysema. And doctors will say, no, that can't happen. Well, it, I've seen it happen. I've seen cancers go away when people really repent. You know, all these things can happen. Does God promise that they will happen? No. But if he's got a purpose in his life and he used that to get you to come to him, then he'll use it as a witness on how he can work. And even if he doesn't, you can still do great things for God. I think of Johnny Erickson Tata, who at 17 years old, dove into the water, broke her neck, and became a quadriplegic. 
She said during her first couple of years, she tried to kill herself. She would snap her head back and forth, trying to finish severing it so that maybe she would be dead. When she finally got surrendered to God's use of it, she's been a person who's been a great advocate for the kingdom of God, ministering to those in wheelchairs. And she has become quite famous in the next 50 years of her life, something like that, to minister to people. Would she have ministered to them if God had immediately healed her? Probably not. She'd have gone the circuit of talking to everybody about God's power to heal a quadriplegic. She'd have been known for a year or two, and then nobody would have ever heard of her again. You know, now, does she wish that she didn't have it? Obviously, and nobody wants to be a quadriplegic, but if you surrender to it, you go, God, you've got a purpose. God, you've got a purpose in this activity in my life that's happened. And again, it comes down to, a lot of it comes down to attitude. What is my attitude toward what God is doing in my life? Shared it many times, and my attitude toward things that go bad is that attitude of when things seem to be bad, God's got a purpose. And you know, there's a big difference when, you, when you're looking and trying to go, God, I don't understand all these bad things, to God, I don't understand what you're doing, but you've got a reason. There's a huge difference in that, the way you react to that. Because if you're looking at everything being hunky-dory and all good and bad things happen, you go, you're going to end up in pretty depressed. You know, and sometimes we cause some of those bad things in our life. You know, we allow things to happen. We do things that we know we shouldn't do. We, we bring situations into our life. And that comes back to what you were saying. Sometimes we can cause some of our own problems. And we need to be careful about that. But even when we cause them, God is still going to work them out for good. Because the verse doesn't say all things except what you cause work together for good. It says all things work together for, for good. Okay? And so many people would like to say, well, if I cause it, it's not going to work together for good. That's not what the verse says. And we've got to keep that in mind. We read God's word for what it says. The same thing when he says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He means in everything give thanks. And I've heard a lot of people, well, I can't, I can't give thanks for this cancer that I'm going through. Why not? God says in everything give thanks. I can't remember who, and I don't remember if she lived or not. But one of the pastors, the big pastors in Phoenix, his wife got cancer. And they prayed and prayed and they prayed and they prayed. I forget how many hospitals she was in and how many people come to know Jesus as their Savior. Mm -hmm. Because she never didn't tell someone that come to her room, whether it was a visitor, a technician, a nurse, whoever. She spread the word of God. Mm -hmm. And he made sure that the world knew that. One of my great friends in uh, College Park had breast cancer and and he spent his time during his hour and a half of chemo every week witnessing to the staff and the people around him. And he didn't let it get him down. He says, I'm going to, this is an opportunity to have new people to speak to. And he did. Now, would he have rather have not had the cancer? I'm sure he would rather not have had the cancer. But he also utilized the group of people that he was speaking to. And, you know, this is a big part of our life. Do we get down because life is hard on us? Or do we go, okay, God, I'm going to continue to minister with it for you and live the best life I can with the problems that you're allowing me to have? And so many Christians do this latter one. They let, the, they let everything go because they're so sad that bad things are happening to them that they let 
opportunities slip past them and won't talk to the people God puts in their place because they're just so miserable about all, this, all the hard things they're going through and God still surrounds them. Even when you're going through hard times, God is still surrounding you. He's protecting. He's only allowing what he is going to allow and it's all going to work together for good. There's nothing new under the sun. There's no, you know, every temptation that we have has been experienced by everybody else. And, you know, those are very freeing attitudes. Knowing that all things work together, knowing that God's not going to allow anything to happen in my life that he doesn't want, and knowing that, that all things are common are very freeing to me because it's like, okay, you know, Satan likes to convince us that our sin is so bad that nobody else has ever gone through what you're doing. Nobody else has ever had those thoughts. Nobody else has ever had those problems that you have. And you just know if you just shared that with other Christians, they're going to really think you're terrible and bad. So you just keep quiet and suffer, suffer alone in your, in your pain and pity party. And then you start, you get wise one day and you share it with somebody and go, oh yeah, I've had that same problem. And all of a sudden it's so freeing because, oh, I wasn't rejected because I shared that I have a problem. I wasn't rejected because I have these issues. We all have issues in our life. And if we're pretending we don't, we're lying to the rest of the people around us and they know that and they know you do anyway. And maybe to ourselves also. And trying to lie to yourself. Uh, somehow I'm better than everybody else. I'm not I'm not gonna go through problems and you know, or the other extreme is my problems are just so bad nobody else would understand them, which is what Satan really likes. Either way, he's going to be successful to try to isolate us. And we need to be careful. We need one another to walk with God. We need one another to say, you know, I understand what you're going through and I'm going to pray for you. Or I don't understand what you're going through, but I'm still going to pray for you. Because they may not understand what you're going through. They just know you're having a hard time and know that they have a hard time. So they should be praying for you. And we need each other's prayers. And when you find that person who's gone through the same thing you were going through, it's really nice. But you know, just knowing that somebody's praying for you and hasn't rejected you because you're going through a hard time and is so wonderful. So here we see God saying, I am surrounding my people. What a powerful testimony. God is around us always, protecting us. Verse 3 says, For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands into iniquity. And this is power. The power of the wicked does not rest, does not abide upon us. Why? Because it leads to iniquity. This is the thing that I get so burdened about sometimes when I see Christians spend so much time in the world and with the world and, and not with God. And then they become like the world and they wonder why. Well, you can't watch the shows you're watching. You can't do the things you're doing and not be affected by the world. This is why I've shared many times, coming to church is not going to make you a better person necessarily. It's not going to make you more pleasing to God. But being in church, being around other Christians is going to help you make better decisions if you want to. And as I've told people, when I was in Christian school, we had about three or four people that did not want to be there. Their parents wanted them in that school. They found each other very quickly and got into trouble quite frequently because they wanted to hang out with each other and not with the other ones that wanted to be there for a Christian education. 
If you don't want to follow Christ strongly and you want to hang out with the world, you'll be like the world. Easily. And we've shared this, you know, how many times have you said or done something, you wonder where it came from, and if you really think about it, it's what you've thought about a lot. It's the, it's the words that people you hang out with use. It's the words that are on the TV shows that you listen to, or the movies you listen to, or the songs, you know, music you listen to. When we get into tearing people down, we think about this. Well, that's what I heard on the TV. That's what, that's what I'm hanging around with people that do. And we act like the people that are around us. And it's common, it's easy to do, and we will become like what we spend our time with because out of the abundance of our heart, we speak. If we're speaking hatred, then that means in the middle of our heart, there's a lot of hatred that has to come out. And we need to be careful. God wants us to be loving one another. And if we're starting to speak hatefully, it really shows a lot about what our heart is. If we're speaking, tearing down people, it tells us where our heart is because we think we're somehow better than they are and not understanding that we are just like them, only in different areas. And you know, it's kind of amazing sometimes when we tear somebody down and we, and we have our own problems, usually in the area that we're tearing them down in. You know, because it usually irritates us to see people acting out what we're struggling with. Over and over again, if we're struggling in an area with God, might not be out in the open, but that's usually what we get so angry about. Most of us will get really angry with our kids because we see the things we don't like about ourselves in our kids, and it's usually amplified in our kids. Whatever we don't like about ourselves, they, they've already picked it up, and they do it at a much higher level, much higher level. And hopefully they can do it also for the good side. They can do the good side just the same way. Doesn't happen quite as much, but it can happen. And we look at this and say, the rod, the power of the wicked, will not rest on God's people unless we make it happen. And we can do all kinds of things. Let's go back to your very first question. Can, can we cause things? Yes, we can, we can decide I'm going to hang out with a lot of lost people and think that I'm not going to be affected. I can watch all the garbage on TV that is ungodly and I'm not going to be affected. Uh, <clears throat> for the younger generation, I can play all the violent games on TV and I'm not going to be affected. Well, they're going to affect them. They will. Uh, just because they're filling their heart and their mind with it. And eventually, what you fill your heart and mind with comes out. And it doesn't just come out you know, when somebody does something wrong, it just doesn't come out of the blue with no, no impetus in the first place. There was something in your life that led to those decisions. Some, some dissatisfaction, some, some hatred, some desire for something better. You know, it all comes down to, a lot of it comes down to coveting. I want something I don't have, whatever that might be. Why does somebody have an affair? Well, they want something they don't have, and that could be a very simple thing. They don't feel like they have an affection at home, and they go seek it. Uh, it could be that they just want to have the affair. You know, there's all kinds of subtleties that will lead you to acting out, but it all comes down to the center of the heart. What is your desire? Do you love people enough to speak kindly about them, or... Is there that hatred that comes out to let you tear them down? 
You know, and it's very strong that we need to be careful of because it's so easy in our flesh to tear people down. So easy in our flesh to talk about their sins and kind of downplay ours. You know, and most of the time, you know, in my conflict revolution, uh, yeah. in my con conflict solving, I'm going to give a different word here, <laughs> uh, I have usually found that both parties are wrong. Neither one of them want to admit that they're wrong. We, you know, both want to be right. And it's so funny when you listen to, these, listen to them talk. They amplify the stuff that they think they did right and de-emphasize the things they did wrong to the point sometimes that they didn't do anything wrong. I, I'm, I am totally innocent in this, in this process. And you listen to the other person, then you start comparing the stories and you look for the similarities about the story and say, okay, I'm beginning to see what happened here. And it's kind of amazing that, you know, I'm not going to say they're lying. They're telling you things that they might even perceive as being true. They're just not telling you the whole truth. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, which is a lie, but <laughs> from their perception, they're not lying. And we resolve these problems by getting to the, to the core root of it. Yes. God's attitude toward is the same as our government's attitude. Ignorance of the law is no excuse for violating the law. God has the same thing because he said in, in uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there's laws and sacrifices to be made for, for sins of ignorance. That you violated something without knowing that it's a sin, it's still a sin. And so yes, God holds you accountable for the things that are done even if you didn't know they're not allowed. Now the sad thing is many times we think we're acting in innocent, uh, innocence but we knew that it was wrong in the first place. We are really good as humans at deceiving ourselves. We're really good at deceiving ourselves and thinking that we're so much better than everybody else. I, I am just perfect. I've not done anything wrong. Uh, you know, sure I you know, tore into that person but they really deserved it. Uh, they really deserved it. It's still wrong. It's still not what we're supposed to do. And you know, we want to be very careful about this. Without God being the center of our heart and the center of our life, we'll do and say anything that the flesh wants us to say. Which is why God says he comes in and he crucifies the flesh and makes us a new creation. We get into his word, we spend time with God, we start thinking about God's thoughts, and we become more loving, more kind, more direct with people, and there is times when we will have to correct somebody. But it had better be done in love to help them grow. And most of the time when we try to correct somebody, it's not out of love. It's, you know, you're, you're so terrible and awful, I'm going to teach you. And we might even think we're doing it in love at the moment that we're speaking, but if we think back to the words we use, we realize that wasn't very loving, that wasn't very kind. Why did I do that? because your flesh got in the way and you wanted to make them feel really bad and you wanted to be God in their life. You know, how many times do we try to be the Holy Spirit in somebody's life? Tell them what they should and should not be doing. Happens a lot in the church. You know, and, it might, and, their, and their heart really is usually honest. They're trying to help you. 
But you cannot be the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. All I can do is share God's word with you and share what God says about something, and the Holy Spirit has to be the one that convicts. And this is so important. The Holy Spirit is the one that's going to do the work. And we can't do it without him. We might try. We might think we're doing it. And parents are the worst with this with their kids, trying to be the Holy Spirit in their ki- you know, for their kids. When they're young or when they're old, it doesn't really matter. You see your kid doing something wrong, and you just you love, you, know, you love your kids, hopefully. You want to see them live betterly in a better way. And so you start being God and the Holy Spirit in their life and telling them how they should act and how they shouldn't be acting. And all you can really do is share God's word and prayer with them and pray for them. And as I've said many times, if you're not praying for somebody, you have no business whatsoever talking to them. But it is important for us to understand all of this. God has a time and a place for correction. There is a time and place for correction. Paul spent most of his letters to the churches correcting them because he was their pastor. He was their, their leader. And he says, I love you so much, I want to give you God's word. Now, he didn't go out criticizing them and all that because he would try to say, this is what you need to be doing. And it was dropped that way. Same thing when I preach and say something's a sin. I'm not sitting there going to say, okay, you over there on the third seat in the row, now this is for you. And you want to make sure that people understand that they've got to follow God. Follow his ways. And how do we do that? We just share what God's ways are without an attack on them. Because when you attack somebody with the law, it immediately brings up defenses. Being a legalistic church or a place where it's all about law and rules and all that, and people react. God's grace wins more people's hearts than anything else. This is what God says, and I'm still going to love you in spite of whatever it is, but this is what God says about this. Now people still react. They still don't like to hear it. But there's a big difference between God says this, you've got to stop doing it, and this is what God says. And just leave it there. God's Spirit has the power to change people's lives. And the Holy Spirit changes people. All my changes in my life have happened because I decided to listen to the Holy Spirit and let him change me. Usually when people go, you must do something, I'm just like everybody else. I I react. I don't want to do something just because I must do it. Convince me that it's the right thing to do. Just share with me that it's a great thing to do. And I'm more likely to say, okay, it sounds like something I want to do. Tell me I must do something. And unless I agree with you that it's a good thing, I'm probably going to not listen to you and do just what I want to do. And that's just the flesh. And it really is the flesh. And somebody can come to you with the most perfect advice. And if they come with you with the wrong attitude, it doesn't work. And all of us know that. And yet so many times we will go to people in the wrong attitude, attacking them for where they're at. And we want to be very careful about that. Verse 4, do good, O Lord, unto those that do good, and to them that are upright in their hearts, or understanding. God, do good to those who do good. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement, because I know... That be good? Yes. Okay. All right, that be good. Even that, it's still... Jesus' answer to the, to, the, to the rich young ruler is when he said, good teacher, he goes, who's good? Who is good? There's only one good. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, what is the psalmist trying to say? 
I think he's talking about those who are trying to be good, trying to be righteous, because otherwise this makes no sense to me. God be good to those who are good. Well, that means he's not going to be good to anybody. Yours is present tense. Yeah, present tense. That'd be good. And to them that are upright in their hearts. Uh, again, in reality, there's nobody who's upright in their heart. There are many people who are trying to follow God, trying to be obedient. So I think in this case, the, the psalmist is saying, God, you know, you know those that are wanting to follow you. Do good to them. Do good to them and help them, which is God's desire. When we are trying to follow him, he will give us the strength to, be, to follow him. And this is kind of a scary thing because how often do we try to be good? You know, oftentimes we all try to be good and we're, we do the wrong things trying to be good because we're trying to do it in our own strength, our own will, our own flesh. And this is where, again, our flesh needs to be crucified. God wants our flesh gone because the flesh keeps getting in the way of the work he wants to do with us. And our flesh will say, well, I'm trying to help this person as I'm ripping them to shreds. Because if I rip them to shreds long enough, maybe they'll, maybe they'll realize that they're supposed to be good. And all it does is cause reactions back. But our flesh is saying, it's, it's going to work, it's going to work, it's going to work. I can keep ripping them to shreds, I can keep tearing them down, and, and they'll get better. Anybody who's ever tried that with somebody knows it doesn't work. Husbands and wives try to do it with each other so often. You know, I'm going to get this person to be the one I want. You know, and the jokes will be usually from the wife's side. I finally got my husband halfway trained. I want to keep him. Uh, but, you know, we do this over and over again. We want to see people change rather than saying, God, I just want you to do what you need to do through them. You know, when we just relax and let God do the work, things go, go so much better. Number one, he usually changes our attitude toward the people and softens our attitude toward them so that what they do doesn't bother us as much. Because you don't want to see anybody sin, but you know, it's still their life. They, stand, they fall and stand before God. They don't stand, fall and stand before any of us. Nobody else in the church stands or falls before us. They stand or fall before God. Your husband or your wife does not stand or fall before you. They stand or fall before God. Your children don't stand or fall between, before you. They stand and fall before God. Now, the more you love somebody the harder it is to watch them make bad decisions. But even then, I'm not responsible for those decisions. I'm not responsible for where my kids go. I'm not responsible even for what people do in this church. I'm responsible just to teach the truth and let people make their decisions before God. And the good news is, when you follow that, God is real good at changing their lives. God will make the changes in people's lives, and it is fun to watch lives change. And to just, even, even in this church, to watch how many people's lives are changing in dramatic ways over the last five years has been wonderful. Verse 5 says, as for, as for such as turn aside unto the crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity, but peace shall be upon Israel. This is God's defense for us. I hope you caught it. As for those that turn aside unto their crooked ways, okay, they're, they're bound and determined they are going to walk in sin. All right? They, they don't care about anything you say, anything you do, anything that God is saying. They're going to walk in their, in their ways. It says, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. God is going to take them out of our lives, and, and he has a reward for them. 
The reward is going to be hell. If that's what they're choosing, God's going to give it to them. When people stand before God at the white throne judgment, God's going to be heartbroken giving them what they wanted. They rejected Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and have chosen to be separated from God for eternity. And God says, okay, you're getting what you want. And I can almost picture God being in complete tears at the white throne judgment as, as his loved people enter hell. That he's going to be in tears because of it. He's done everything he could to keep them from there. He sent, he sent himself in the form of Jesus to be flesh, to die on the cross and have his righteousness be able to be given to them. And they reject it. The unforgivable sin is to reject Jesus Christ, which is the whole ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to bring people to Christ. That is, part, that is his primary ministry. And when people reject him, they will end up in hell. And it's their choice. And we can be heartbroken about it, and God is heartbroken about it, but we can't make them accept Jesus. We don't want to. We want them to be in heaven with us, but we can't make them. And it really is a choice that they're going to make. And God will lead them away. If they're not going to make the decision, he'll lead them into the way of the iniquity and they will end up in hell. And this is powerful. How do we stop any of that? We love them. We pray for them. We give the gospel message gently to them. We try to help them understand that they're a sinner headed for hell. And, you know, this is the hard thing when somebody says, well, I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Well, I said a prayer when I was, you know, 8, 9, 10, 4, 5, whatever, 18, 20, 25, 100. <laughs> Why aren't you letting God change your life? Well, you know, I'm just sure that I'm going to heaven because I said a prayer. And God says, those who live in their sin without conviction and continue to live in that sin are not saved. And again, we've talked about this several times. There are things that we have trouble with. You know, all of us have a sin that we just have trouble with, whatever that sin might be. It might be our, our tongue. It might be our attitudes. It might be our thought. It might just be covetousness deep down in our heart. And God says, are you convicted of it? If you're convicted of it, you repent, you ask for forgiveness, and you try to get better. If there's no conviction, you have to start wondering, do I know you, God? Do I know you? Especially when you know it's a sin. And he says he'll lead them astray. And then he goes, but peace shall be upon Israel. Those that follow God have peace. And I can tell you, the peace that passes understanding that we get as Christians is just wonderful. Yeah. We don't understand why we have peace, and it's no matter what's going on in our life, if we really know God, we should be at peace. Why? Because he's in control. Nothing happens to us that he doesn't allow, and it gives us a great peace. And that's the way it should be. It should be that we get that peace that comes from God because I'm not trying to go out and sin. I'm not trying to be disobedient. I'm just resting in Christ. Faith, rest in Christ is where it's all at. You know, to be saved is the first step, but to actually rest in Christ and not be struggling over everything that goes on. Just saying, God, I'm resting in you. Oh, you're crucifying my flesh. You are changing who I am. You are making me more like you. And you just walk at rest. And 
You know, it amazes people, it amazes Christians when, people, when they find a Christian who is truly at rest. Because they look at him going, wow, you know, you seem to be so peaceful. Yeah, I'm resting in Christ. I know, I know several people at work that are, they are, say they're Christians, and I have no, in many cases, I have no doubt that they're Christians, but they have no peace, they have no rest in their life. They're struggling, they're fighting for everything. And it's like, just relax. Let God do what he's going to do. But they're struggling and fighting against their sin and their desires. And it's like, God wants to take it away from you. Just let him. I am crucified with Christ means he is crucifying me. All right? He is the one that's going to change me. Grace and mercy are so wonderful because I don't have to struggle to be what God wants me to be. All I have to do is surrender and say, God, I'm yours. You've got me, God, warts and all. You know, everything I do wrong, God, is yours. You take them away. And amazingly, he takes them away. So many things that God has taken out of my life that I would have never thought could have been taken away. And you look back over your life and say, wow, I used to like doing that. I don't do it anymore. I don't remember a time when I made a decision to stop doing it. It just stopped. Now, sometimes I remember the decision saying, yes, God, I'm going to give it up. And it, when I get to that point, it just stops and goes away. And you know, we get to that place where we just say, God, I want you to be in control. Whatever, God, you want to do for me, I'm going to do. And then we get into God's word. We spend time looking at his word, learning his word, and eventually things change. And it's an amazing thing when those things change because we're just kind of going along and next thing you know, we'll look back over our life and this is out of our life, that's out of our life, this is out of our life. And it wasn't by me struggling, it was God coming in, crucifying the flesh and putting his spirit in its place. And when his spirit's in its place, you don't miss it. You don't miss it at all when, when God takes it away and replaces it with him. At least I haven't, and I don't think anybody that I've talked to that has led to that happen misses what, what, what God has taken away. All right, we're going to close here a little early. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for you loving us. God, help us to learn to just trust in you. Help us to learn to put all of our faith and our heart into your desires and to be faithful unto what you would have us to do. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this that doesn't know you, that we ask that they will be convicted of their sins and, and repent. Turn to you and repent and ask for your forgiveness and be filled with you. And we just thank in Jesus' name. Amen.